If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The most extensive passage you'll ever find in the scriptures on the resurrection. More detail here than anywhere else. As I was wrestling this week as to figure out what to preach on, Steve found it easy. I found it difficult. Because <laughs> when you preach every Easter and you're trying to do, do something different or wonder what is it the Lord would have for me, I kind of had to wrestle with it and I wasn't sure what, where to go. And so eventually, though, the, the Lord led me here in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And starting actually in verse 21 is where we're going to look at. Before we do that, let's seek God's favor. Father, here we are before you this great day. The day where we remember what happened over a couple thousand years ago. The world was forever changed. Your beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was raised from the dead. And through Him came the salvation of the world. Conquering over sin and death, the enemies that held us enslaved and in bondage. Defeating the devil and casting him down. Lord Jesus, we now have a new ruler a new king. And now where, O death, where is your sting? Blessed be your name forever. For you are good and you are great. And you've loved us with a love immeasurable, and yet here we are. If we look at ourselves, we look in the mirror, and what do we see? Selfish, pitiful, weak, sorry people. It's quite amazing, Father, that you would love us the way you've done it. That you would reach down to us, those who've despised you, rejected you, hated you, maligned you, cursed you, murdered, cheated, and sought our own glory and good. It is no testimony to ourselves, but only to you, to your greatness, to your glory, to your goodness and love. What a great God. Help us to see the glories of the resurrection and put our hope in it this morning, that we would long for it, look for it, and grant us eyes of faith. For I pray this in the beloved name of Jesus. Amen. Well, for us, also as Steve mentioned, this is the greatest day of the year. This is the day some 2,000 years ago when all creation changed. Things were different. Prior to to the coming of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, what held men captive, men, women, children, all people when I say men, what held us captive was sin, death, and the devil held us captive held us captive to fear. Every single one of us was headed in, in, headed to the grave, but not just headed to the grave like we head to the grave today, headed to the grave with, even if you're God's people, only glimmers of hope. You weren't sure how it was all going to work out. You didn't know the end. You, you went to the grave believing and hoping in the resurrection. That who? How was this going to happen? 
But it's different today. A much fuller revelation and understanding of what it is God done for us, has done for us in Christ Jesus. Your life, the world, is different today because of what Jesus did. Sin and death no longer have the last word. They were crushed. They were conquered. And they were triumphed over by our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, what a Savior. What now do you have to fear? What now do you have to fear? For so many, for so many they fear the grave. They fear that day. They fear that place. Because what is it for them? It's their end. So they think. Or, or maybe they think, yeah, you go live on somewhere. But they have no vision, no understanding. People who talk about um, life after death. If, if they're not believers in Christ, you hear them talk as some fanciful dream. To them, that's not their hope. If they're honest with you, they're still terrified. They're terrified of that day. They're terrified because they don't know the resurrection power, resurrected power of Christ. Yet we know, we know that this day marks the day of hope. The day where we can look toward the grave and we can look to past it. It's past it. We don't look to it. We look past it. And by with eyes of faith, we see what's on the other side. And this morning, I want to encourage us all to cultivate in our hearts and our mind a dream, a vision, a passion, to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and His ascension and there find our excitement and joy in the life that is to come. Because for all too many of us, our worlds, our lives get caught up in the day-to-day action and activity of life. And our eyes of flesh start to see what's around us. And we start to invest way too much in this world and way too little in the life that is to come. So I want us to look this morning with eyes of faith at the resurrection and what that means for us. And to set our hopes in upon it. And create a vision of what is to come and, it, and that it would stir our hearts and put joy deep within us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 21, it says this. For as by man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in its own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at His coming those who belong to Christ. What is being said here? Listen to the argument. By a man came death, so by a man came life. By one man, death that we all experience came upon us all. Who was that man? We know it was Adam, right? He says, by Adam. This one man, Adam, came death. But also by this one man, Jesus Christ, came life. Adam was the first man. And from Him we are all born. And because we're born in Him, guess what? We're all subject to death. As He was. As the Father goes, so goes the Son. But Jesus is the new man. And Jesus is not from Adam, is He? Jesus is from heaven. Jesus comes down where Adam came up. 
And just like those who are born in Adam joined him in his death, those who are born of Christ join him in his life. And this, this parallelism that Paul is going through here in this text, he's showing, think of the comparison. As you think how you were born and how your life exists in Adam, so also think of your life in Christ. Because Adam was ahead of all humanity, and so is Jesus. Two separate and distinct heads of humanity with completely different paths. And the thing is, they both happen in their order. In verse 23, says, Christ is the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. So how does it happen? It isn't that when Jesus was raised from the dead, instantly everybody who was ever born in Adam, we all, those who put their trust in him, were raised from the dead. But he says, no, it happens in this order. First Christ, he's the firstfruits, and that is at his coming, those who belong to him. So he's saying, don't think that it happens immediately. Each one happens in its order. Jesus' bodily resurrection is first. But then our resurrection happens at his final coming in judgment at the end. This means that we have to wait. It isn't immediate. Like with the first Adam, we don't join him in the grave immediately. How many of us, when we're born, we don't get born and then wait two minutes and then find ourselves in death. We are born in sin and death, a state of separation from God, but we don't meet the grave until an extended period of time. Well, we won't meet the the resurrection either until an extended period of time. There's an order to it, as he says. To further explain this, he says down in verse 45. If you look, jump down now in 1 Corinthians 15 to verse 45. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So here is how and why it works the way it does. He's giving this comparison to show us how does this work. The first Adam was born from the dirt, and the last Adam was born from heaven. The first Adam was formed from the ground. Think of this for a moment. Adam, what did God do when he formed Adam? He took from the earth, from the dirt of the ground, he formed him, and he breathed his spirit into him, became life. But the last Adam came from heaven. God, he came down into heaven and took on flesh. He comes the exact opposite direction. Adam comes up from the dirt. Jesus comes down from heaven. And then he goes on to say it like this. They, 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 they live their lives And then they return from where they came from. Adam to the dirt, Jesus to heaven. So he's paralleling these two heads of humanity. Look where where Adam came from and look where Adam returned. Look where Jesus came from and look where Jesus returned. See their patterns. And now he goes on from there and he says that you are connected connected to the Adam and the end in this this first Adam or the last Adam which Adam are you connected to and you will follow his pattern is what he's basically saying like 
begets like, right? The first Adam has children that bear his image by the flesh. The last Adam has children that bear his image by the Spirit. As we know from our own births, we all bear the image of those we're born from. Likeness begets likeness. Take my kids, for example. They look just like me. We laugh because we know they're not my biological children. And how do you know that? By likeness. And often we say, oh, they look just like their mom or just like their dad, or we're not sure. As they get older, they become... And actually, the longer they're with their parent, they might not even have been birth children. They start to become like them because likeness begets likeness. They become like them. This was also John's argument in 1 John 3, 9 through 10. He says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Now, why is his argument? For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And why is this argument? Why is this profound argument this way? Because if you are born of God, likeness begets likeness. If you're not and you're of the devil, likeness begets likeness. That's why the the Pharisees were saying to Jesus, well, we're sons of Abraham. Are you kidding me? I can create sons of Abraham from these rocks. You're sons of the devil, and how do I know that? You act just like him. Well, no, we're, we're born of Abraham. We're, we're circumcised. We're his children. I mean, what are you talking about? How could Jesus say that? Well, likeness begets likeness. There's a family resemblance. And if we are born of the Spirit, the Spirit works so that we reflect the image of the Spirit who is Christ. That's the work of the Spirit in us. So if you look at the direction of each atom, the first and the last atom, you can see the direction depending on who you're, you're, you can see your direction depending on who you're connected to. Who do you belong to? Well, in one sense, we all belong to the first Adam because you're born into this world. You come from him. But whether or not we belong to the last Adam depends on whether we're born of him. Has a spirit made us born again unto Jesus so that we have faith and believe? Because something happens. Something happens by the work of the Spirit. And He gives you eyes to see and ears to hear. He grants you faith to believe. As the text in 1 Corinthians, and, and actually as we see in, we'll see in a little bit here in 1 Peter, it talks about. Something that is for us that we don't see. How many of you here have seen Jesus? None of you. Well, you maybe say I had a vision or a dream, but no, physically you've not seen Jesus. You've not physically seen him, nor, nor will you see him until you see him in, after you die. But yet you believe. You believe that he is. You believe that he's raised from the dead. You believe that he's the son of God. You believe he's God's sent child who come to die for our sins. Well, where does that come from? Confidence, confidence in who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and in, in the resurrection from the dead. Where does that come from? The spirit of God. 
If you have eyes to believe that that resurrection is my resurrection, that that death is my death, do you realize that those born of the first Adam who have not experienced birth by the, second, the last Adam cannot and do not see that and believe that and embrace that as theirs? Only those who look at that, embrace who Jesus was and what Jesus did, and look to his resurrection and claim that as theirs and believe that that will be mine, those are the ones in whom the Spirit has borne them and connected them to Jesus. And Jesus will work in them to have a family resemblance. But in this life, it's not just that cut and dry, because there's a tension. There's a tension in all of our lives, those of us who are followers of Jesus. We have eyes of flesh and we have eyes of faith. We have a part of us that remains connected to the Adam that still must die. Our bodies are dying. And the older you get, the more you understand this. They are headed in a particular direction. And I don't care who you are or how hard you try to stop it. Know what kind of meds they get you on or what kind of exercise you do. You can slow it down, but you can't stop it. You're headed in a particular direction. Why is that? I don't care what you do or how hard you try. You cannot stop your body from being connected to your father, Adam, and going in his direction. But at the same time, here's the tension. Those who belong to Christ by the Spirit, who've been born of the Spirit, they also have a different direction. Inwardly, they're being renewed day by day. They're becoming more and more like Him. So as your body's headed towards the grave, the Spirit, the inward man, is growing and headed to where Christ is seated in the heavenlies. And so there's a tension that we live in. We, we all feel the pull in both directions. Our bodies are feeling its decay. Our inward man is experiencing the joy of the Lord and the, and the blessedness of the resurrection. And because of this tension, and while we live here, the resurrection is supposed to do something for us. Those born of the Spirit live with resurrection hope. Eyes of faith. If, you have your, turn, if you're following your Bible, turn now over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Another, this, was, this passage was read for us this morning. And is another glorious passage on the hope of the resurrection and how it should impact and affect our lives. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So those of us who are born of the Spirit have a living hope, it says. Not a cross-your-fingers kind of a hope. Oh, I sure hope so. But a guaranteed looking forward to, I can't wait kind of a hope. That's how the Bible uses the word hope. It doesn't use it how we often use the word hope. It's almost like we, we use the word, I, I, I so look forward to it. 
When we talk about that, we're hoping for something. When we look forward to things, we're speaking in the way that the Bible speaks of hope. Because it's a looking forward to that thing that you're going to receive. We, this is how we talk of hope today. I sure hope it works out. Right? That's what we do. That's not how the Bible is using it. And this hope should be increased as we feel our fleshly reminder every day and continually throughout the years of the death that remains in Adam. Because as verse 4 says in the passage, this inheritance that we have, it's this. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Whereas, when we look to the inheritance that we might receive in this life, do you know what defines what the, what's in this life and the inheritance we have here? It's what? Perishable, defiled, and fading. Have you noticed, have you gotten anything new lately? Have you ever bought something? How long does it last? What does it tend to do? Break. Get old. Need maintenance. Next thing you know, it needs to be replaced. Next thing you know, you better get rid of it because it's falling apart. I don't care what it is or what you have and the things in this world, in this life, that's where they tend to. And he's saying, folks, let me put you somewhere. Let me put your mind somewhere and help you understand the inheritance that was received in Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead. It's in the exact opposite direction. Again, Adam came from the dirt, is headed back to the dirt. Jesus came from heaven, is heading back to heaven. And realizing that with Jesus... It's not to the dirt, but it's eternal and forever and glorious and unfading and imperishable. And he wants, he's encouraging us to look at the resurrection in Jesus and say, today, right now, right here, Jesus is alive. He's alive today. Death did not conquer him. And he wants us to think about the implications of that for our own lives, to set our hope, our looking forward to on that. But the people of this earth, however, they pursue the things of this earth. And they look forward to the inheritance that they might have on this earth. And why is that? This is all they have. They look with eyes of flesh, not with eyes of faith. And all they see is all they believe there is. They place their hope there. When we have eyes of faith, we look to that which our eyes can't see. Your eyes can't see what the promise is. Eyes of faith can see it. And as we look, we gain confidence and joy and hope, that biblical hope of looking forward to that day, the resurrection day. And this faith, this faith and confidence are ours. Why? Because you've mustered it up. Because you sit here and say, man, I'm going to believe that? No. It's because you're born of the Spirit by a, to a living hope. The eyes of faith come by the Spirit. So the Spirit working in you causes faith in you so that you can look to Jesus and, not only, and believe it for yourself. Not believe it as a historical event. If you're sitting here this morning, I guarantee you probably most likely believe that the, the, the actual event happened in history. But that's different than clinging to it as your hope, 
as you're looking forward to, as yours. Is Jesus' death and resurrection yours? And if it is, it's yours by the Spirit. That's a work of the Spirit. It's not something you can conjure up. Just think for a moment. I want you to ponder and I want you to dream how great it will be to put off this body of flesh, this weakness. Put off weakness and put on strength. To put off the fleshly body and put on a spiritual body. To put off mortality and put on immortality. To put off the temporal and put on the eternal. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, No eye has seen nor ear has heard what God has for those who loves Him. When translated means, you can't even imagine how good it will be. In all your imagining, in all your thinking, and in all your dreaming, you're not even close. However, have you ever longed and looked forward to it in this way? In a way that you long and look forward to a summer vacation. Have you ever looked forward to a summer vacation? Have you ever made plans? Think of the biggest and the best vacation you've ever had in your life. Typically, if it's big, you need to save up for it. You need to plan and prepare for it. You need to buy tickets and make reservations. And then you, you look at pictures and you get excited about it. And so all of this that awaits you several months down the road becomes, starts to become bigger and more glorious and more joyful as you anticipate it. And what gets you through all the doldrums and the dreary days and the Seattle skies of winter and the tough and those tough days? The hope of that summer vacation. I can't wait. Looking forward to that. Man, it's going to be so good. All we have to do is get, we just have to get through a few more months and away we go. We're wired to live that way. But what, what Paul, Peter was saying, sorry, in First Peter is that just how we think of and understand inheritance, we think of promise, we think of things that in this life, but they're perishable. That vacation comes, and what happens? It goes. Before you know it, it's the last day, and you're packing up, and you think, where did the time fly? And you're headed home. It was perishable. It wasn't eternal. It was like just like a, a teaser. It allowed you at moments to taste the goodness, but it just really wasn't there. But there's always next summer. And then we'll do this. We, we look forward to the inheritance we might have. Inheritance for us, we understand. If, if you had really wealthy parents, you know that one day that's probably going to end up yours. When you, and that's called your inheritance. And the things that some people can look forward to the day when they'll have this inheritance. He talks about this inheritance that we're going to have. But this crazy, so many people, maybe if it's not inheritance, maybe it's retirement. The world's trying to sell you the here, the now, this life. Focus here, focus here, focus here, focus here. Hey, just imagine. Can you imagine? How, I don't know how old, however old you are. Just think that one day you can be free of the labor. You could be sitting on a beach, cocktail in your hand, hammock, breeze, no responsibilities, nothing but goodness. You're like, yeah, that's what I want to do. What are they tra- they're trying to sell you this. 
And so people who, who actually say, that's what I want, becomes their hope and their dream, they start investing in it. They start putting money away. I'm storing all this money away. Why? Because one day I'm going to, it's going to be great. So they, they get everything prepared and geared and ready for this. It's, it's their hope. It's their inheritance. And how disappointing. They get there and talk to those folks. Well, there's statistics that can tell you. Most of them end up dying shortly thereafter. Because they realize this is what, a, this is what, this is a rotten bill of goods. Who, who sold me this? I'm bored, stiff. That It was great for about a week. Now I don't know what to do with my time. I don't know where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do. And I need something to do. And that's what, that's what the text of Scripture is constantly driving at us. This world is perishable. This world is full of weakness. This world needs to be resurrected. Don't find your hope. Don't find your joy. Don't find your life in this world. Because you're, but here's the thing, though. You all, like me, have eyes of flesh. We see physical things. I look around and I see things physical. I'm tempted and drawn towards putting maybe my hope or investment in, in houses and cars and food and drink and, and vacations and all the things that this life might have offered to me. But we're called to look at the resurrection and the life of the resurrection as our hope. And when people do that, and when that is what we dream about, we long for, we look to, it changes what we invest in here and now. It changes how we govern our lives here and now. So do we love and look forward to that eternal hope that keeps us going through this world, through trials, through suffering? Peter says that these trials and suffering, they test and purify your faith. Your faith in what? Your faith in Christ and the hope of the resurrection and the life that is to come. Knowing that one day this will all pass away. All the weakness, all the defilement, all the... All, the, all that is in this life that is no good will be swallowed up in Christ in the resurrection. Don't think of it like, oh man, all this will be destroyed in the sense of gotten rid of. No. All of this will be renewed and resurrected and made in a way that you cannot know. I have seen nor ear has heard. God has something planned and figured out in the glorious resurrection that you, your mind and in all your imagination and all your dreaming and all your delighting in it can't possibly capture what he has awaited for you. And that hope, that looking forward to, is designed to carry you through the dark days, the dreary winters, It should affect the way you invest here and now. It should affect the way we live. The resurrection should be something that we don't just think of as an event, but Jesus, but a transformation of how life is to be lived and thought of. That the life I live for is not the life here and now, and this life still stuck, this this body that I'm stuck in is stuck in Adam, but the life that I have in the new Adam, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. But here's a problem. We get caught up in the world and the things of the world. And we don't spend much time dreaming of the resurrected life that is to come. 
How many of you honestly, and I'm not going to, don't raise your hand, but how many of you honestly dream of and think of the glories of the resurrection? Of what it will be like? Of what awaits us, our inheritance? Not many of us do. And why is that? Because this life is so busy. We got so many th- cares and troubles and worries and things we run around to. And we got, oh, I got to plan this. I got to get to this. I got to do that. And I got to get there. And I got to get back here. I got to get the kids over here. We got to get food in our mouths. We got to get to bed. And so we're running around. And what we're doing is we're occupied by the things of this world. And so we don't even have time to cultivate our hearts and imaginations and our hope in the life that is to come. And perhaps right now we're talking about it. And for the, you can start to think about it and imagine it and you start to see its effect on your life to think about how great it would be. But that's what we're called to do on a continual basis. We need to carve out time on a daily basis to think about the life that is to come in Christ, the glories of the resurrection and what awaits us in him. So that becomes our hope. That becomes what we look forward to. That becomes a source of life and joy for us in the day to day. Do you realize we're, we in America have a unique temptation and problem? And it's stuff. It's busyness. It's the things of life crowd us. It's the riches of the world that choke us. It's the cares of the world that seem to want to take over our minds. But you know, when Peter was writing his epistle to the people of God there, They were experiencing trial, famine, poverty, difficulty, struggles of all kinds, suffering. So in knowing that Jesus was raised from the dead and lives forever with imperishable rewards and joy, they too knew that they would be raised from the dead and receive the inheritance of life everlasting and all the goodness that God prepared for them. They knew it would be a happy land, land of the living, the land where sorrows would cease and peace would reign. The land where joy, there's joy unspeakable and pleasures forevermore. They knew it would be a place of no more aches and pains. There's no more sore backs and weak knees. There's no health, uh, fleshly temptations and desires that draw us away from God. All that your heart would beat would be a zeal and a passion for God. A pure and unadulterated love for God and a zealous and sacrificial love for our neighbors. This is the world, life, and inheritance we are to look forward to. That is where we need to invest our lives, invest our hopes and our dreams. That is where we need to be planting our future, is in the life that is to come in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where all things will be made new. This also means that we need to stop investing in the here and now. Now, don't get me wrong. There's, th- there's things that need to be taken care of. But what we mean by that is investing your heart, your dreams, and your love, and your affections. When we start planning and dreaming and we invest in the here and now, we start looking for life and the things in this life where we should be looking to God and the things to come. This life, this world, should be marked by an investment in eternity, by an investment in the resurrection. We should live our lives sacrificially giving. And why are you doing all this stuff? Why are you giving? Why are you pouring your life out? I'm pouring my life out because of the life that is to come in Christ Jesus. Where nothing that I do here is in vain. I'm not pouring this out in vain. This is like coming back a hundred and a thousand fold. 
These are merely seeds I'm planting. This is merely a, the most incredible investment you've ever had. If I could tell you right now, give me a dollar, I'll make it $10 million. Well, you would doubt that for sure. Yeah, you'd giggle and laugh. But what if I, could, what if I guaranteed it and, I, and, you, and you had confidence in that and you started to believe, yeah, I think he could. You'd be jumping all over me with all your dollars. You'd be investing like crazy. Why would you do that? That's smart investing, Dean. <laughs> think about it. I've never heard of a return like that. Well, Jesus is smart investing, folks. Because I've never heard of a return like that. No eye has seen nor ear has heard what God has those who, for those who love him. The things awaiting you, no matter what you give and what you pour out in this life, no matter what you go through, you do it as unto the Lord, looking forward to the resurrection, it comes back on you a hundredfold. And here's the beautiful thing about thinking about that. It stirs your heart your affections, your love. You start living in this life differently. Start living and investing for the life that is to come. And so what is the guarantee of this resurrection life I'm talking about? What's the guarantee? What's the guarantee that will be ours? Jesus was raised from the dead. He's the first fruits. And after him, we come. We look to that with confidence. Jesus was raised from the dead. I have confidence now that I will be too. As those who place their trust and confidence in his resurrection, we too shall be raised from the dead. And only those who have the spirit of faith can look to that, latch onto that, believe that, and find the joy of that. To everybody else, it's cut off. There's just no way they'll look at that and they won't believe it. They won't hope in it. They won't lay hold of it. They'll look around at it. Whatever. But if you lay hold of it, that's the work of the Spirit. And you have a rich inheritance in the Lord. Amen. Father, we're very, very thankful for the resurrection of your beloved Son. For we know that by that resurrection, there's proof, there's evidence of an internal inheritance of our resurrection, that we are resurrected with Christ. As we look there, we see our own. And we see, Father, that we have an inheritance with Him in eternity and with You and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a communion that will never know no end. Delight, joy, goodness, mercy, love, goodness overflowing, pleasures forevermore, joy abounding, a life and a land of the living. Oh, Father, this is our joy and hope. And may we look and see with eyes of faith what awaits us and as a result, live our lives pouring it out for that world that is to come, knowing that you bless and reward and give a hundredfold, a thousandfold to all those who by faith live according to you. Have mercy on us, Father, and grant us eyes to see and ears to hear, for we ask it in Christ. Amen.